Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels. This is John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage even when you don't know what you're doing. Today, I'm excited to introduce our guest, Andrea Perdomo. Andrea is the co-founder and president at Revelar. Revelar is a super cool wearable technology product that allows you to discreetly call for help when you need it most or when you feel threatened or in danger. It's a really cool personal safety device, something that lets loved ones know that you're feeling uncomfortable or unsafe. It's actually quite fashionable as well, and it can help reduce the chances of abuse or assault on anybody that wears the product. I originally met Andrea about five months ago when she was starting her and her team's involvement in the Techstars Target Startup Accelerator here in Minneapolis. I was a mentor to the 11 teams that participated in that event. So listeners with Andrea were in for a real treat for some exciting stories to tell about Revelar and Andrea's entrepreneurial journey. To learn more about Andrea's company, check out revelar.com. Andrea, thank you for being here and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. No, thank you so much for for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here um, and hopefully be able to shine a light on on the entrepreneur journey that we've had at Revelar. Super, super exciting. So Andrea, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, or we'll get to the heart of the matter and issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. And the final part is the let's get personal component where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Andrea, it's time to dive into some of the questions. Are you ready for the interview? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. Awesome. Give me the basics. So Andrea, I provided an introduction about you and Revelar in the early part of this introduction, but in your own words, Describe your product and what makes it so unique among the other options that are out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, you know, Revelar is, it's definitely a product now. And, and I can kind of jump, jump in a little bit later into the vision that we have for the brand and the company as a whole. Um, but Revelar is, it's a small wearable um, at the touch of a button. It can actually send out a text message or email to your loved ones letting them know exactly where you are and that you need help. Um, you know, one of the things that very much differentiates us from competitors is the differentiated alerts that we have. So in very many situations, whether you're feeling uncomfortable or it is a true emergency, uh, different people have very different ideas for what emergencies look like for them. And so what we've done is we've actually created two different alerts, a yellow and a red, um, from talking to a lot of survivors, you know, one of the things that we kept hearing over and over again was I had a, I had a feeling that something was wrong or I felt uncomfortable and I didn't want to be rude. And so what we've done is we've created a yellow alert, which is more for those moments where you are feeling uncomfortable, like an awkward Tinder date or you name it. Um, and it's really for those moments that, that we encourage our users to trust their instincts to use that yellow alert uh, and if that situation does escalate, then escalate it to a red to let their loved ones know. Um, that's definitely our biggest differentiator. And, you know, we're really excited to, as we as we move the business forward, be able to totally personalize and customize what personal safety looks like for every single user that we have. Andrea, take us back to the very beginning. Give us the beginning story of how Revelar how that product came into being. 
Yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> um, so I met um, my co-founder, Jackie, in Denver a little bit over three years ago. We're going on four years now, which is crazy. And when I first met her, you know, we very much started off as friends. And she had this great idea for a device, um, which is what Revelar is today. And, you know, the first thought that I had was, A, why doesn't this exist? Um, but B, you know, I really got to dive into what the reason was that, that Jackie wanted to start Revelar. And it was very much about um, an incident, actually two incidences that had happened to her younger sister, where in those moments, had she had Revelar, they would have been able to help her. Um, or if nothing else, at least start that conversation of what was it that happened? Uh, because a lot of times your your health starts to deteriorate when, when you get assaulted, et cetera. And so that that story very much resonated with me. And then, you know, on another level, my, my family and I were originally from Colombia, South America. And we can safely say that safety is, is very much um, a privilege there. And one thing that, that we definitely want to do and bring to the rest of the world is safety should actually be a right and everybody has the right to feel safe. Um, and so having that international uh, goal to really get that out there, as well as in the U.S., being able to be there for people who, who need to connect with their loved ones most, that, that's truly what we aim to do. And it's been, you know, three really long years of getting this off the ground. But I can say that it's been an amazing experience. Um, and, you know, <laughs> the entrepreneur experience for us is very much very different from others. Um, Jackie and I actually moved in together as, as friends. She promised me that we weren't going to. We weren't going to work on this full time, and that changed very quickly. Uh, it's all we could ever talk about. And, you know, I joke that, that we lived together long enough to have a baby, but instead we had a company, and that's what happened. We lived together for nine months, and it, it really started from there of just really trying to brainstorm, what is this going to look like? Like what, you know, this product doesn't exist out there today, at least nothing that you can take on the go with you. And so what what will this look like? How can we actually build not only the product, but the brand and the message and the marketing? Um, and it took us some time to, to figure that out, but but it's, you know, it's time well spent and I we've learned so much doing it. Explain more about how you met Jackie. Yeah, so um, it's kind of one of those serendipity moments. Uh, I actually was living in Atlanta right out of college. And um, I'm one of those people, my parents always joke that that I kind of just do whatever, whatever I want, whatever feels good, even if even if there's, you know, most people really care about money, I, I really wanted to make a difference in the world. Um, and when I was working right out of college, just that job I had wasn't doing that for me. Um, and so I literally drove from Atlanta to Denver, um, took an unpaid internship at a company where we were giving back to to several nonprofits in different countries um, through fashion, which was very, very cool. And I knew one person in Denver, and it happened to be Jackie's roommate. So um, she was literally the very first person that I met in Denver. And now, you know, we started this company together. So it's really crazy to see how a relationship like that, you know, because it was built on such genuine foundations of really being able to to make the world a better place uh, that's we've, that we've been able to grow Revelar like we have. Terrific. What an interesting story. Just to shift gears slightly, Andrea, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes in order to survive. Regarding Revelar's uniqueness, did your original assumption about the product's uniqueness prove motivating to consumers, or did you discover a slightly different selling proposition after being in business for a while and after getting some customer feedback? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think with 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 anything in life, it's it's always a, a learning experience. Um, with Revelar, you know, one of the things that we were very fortunate of is that we we were able to to really kind of look at what product did we want as consumers. Um, so we were able to to really design a product for ourselves. But one of the one of the greatest parts about doing that is that we were able to talk to our friends, talk to our family, talk to different people who had been through events in their lives and 
that was one of the greatest parts of building Revelar was taking all of those stories and being able to be very solutions oriented as to like, well, what could, what could Revelar do have done in that situation? Um, and really kind of gearing the product for that and keeping the, the user as the, the forefront of everything and anything we do. Um, I will say, you know, we've, we've learned a lot of things along the way. Um, especially now that, that we've launched our first product into the market, you know, one of the things that we've learned is that safety is very, very different for each person, which is one of the biggest reasons why we're very much aiming to figure out how can we personalize safety for everybody um, and, and really be able to provide a, a positive experience along the way, which has been, you know, we could very well sell fear. And one of the things that, that we feel very passionate about is, how can we use our product and our brand and our message to actually inspire people um, and help them get through adversity and, and move forward and pick themselves back up? And so one thing that we've realized, it's not just about the product. The product is a tool. Um, but what what else can we do as as Revelar to, to help and keep keep moving people forward? Tell me how. So, Andrea, here we are in the tell me how segment of the podcast where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Andrea, let's talk about raising capital. I know that Revelar did raise capital. And Andrea, keeping in mind that most entrepreneurs have no knowledge of how to get money for their startup, how did you start raising capital for Revelar? Fun question. So I'll, I'll start off by saying that one of um, a mentor that I had very early on, you know, I kept saying that we were so lucky. And he said, you know, that's not luck, that's hard work. Um, and so I'll kind of preface it with that, because our our the way in which we got funding is 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 very interesting. And I think a lot unlike any other um, startup. Um so we at the at the very beginning, you know, it's it's interesting because you go through this bootstrapping phase where you know all we did was eat um, potatoes and ramen, and I, I didn't think I was ever going to go back there um, after college, but it, you do when you go into entrepreneurship. I'll say that, um, but we really started off by talking to investors as advisors. I think that's one of the biggest things that we did. Um, however, one of the things that, that you'll you'll constantly hear is you need to prove that there's a demand for your product before anybody will invest in you. And the odd part about that is that one of the only ways to prove that there's demand for your product is to have funding. And so it's a very... Um, very yin yang moment where where it's like a catch 22 um where you need to be able to prove that demand but then you also need some sort of funding to be able to do that um and so having heard that over and over again by investors what we did is we actually went out and we won we pitched we did pitch competitions like every other week um and we got to to raise a little bit of money there um and then we fortunately had enough to do a kickstarter and that's that's really where we were able to prove that there was a demand for a product and people really did want to see us succeed so we were able to raise $85,000 in 45 days um and sold 1200 units which was amazing for our very first kickstarter campaign um and it was actually during that campaign that we had gotten introduced to Seth from the Foundry Group. Um, and he, you know, like like all of the other investors that we talked to, we really just needed advice. We needed some help as to like, what are those different milestones that we needed to hit in order to get to the next step? Um, he was he was super kind and, and was, was very, very generous in, in giving us feedback and advice along the way. And once we were doing the end of our Kickstarter um, through the Foundry Group Syndicate, which was an angel syndicate, uh, we were able to raise with them $250,000. And that really kind of validated that we were we were at the cusp of something. And we, we had the, the funding to, at minimum, start building out that product and start building out a team to see what that would look like. Uh, and shortly after we got into Techstars, 
which was, you know, the very first Techstars. So um, we've done two, which I can jump into later. Uh, so we did the first Techstars in Boulder, and that really accelerated our business. We were we were looking into how, you know, looking at the the business very holistically. So it's it's not just about the product. Like if you have a product that's built, that's great, but there has to be a brand and a message and a team that goes with it. Um, and so we were able to to really build all of that along with some amazing partners. Um, and it was right after that TechStars, we launched um, our our. Our partnership with Brookstone, um, they had committed to, to help us launch our product nationwide. The retailer. Uh, and, and the foundry. Yeah, the retailer. That's right. And the uh, the foundry group was was more than than so supportive. And they actually came in for $3 million at the end of November last year um, for our first super seed round, as we call it. Um, hardware hardware takes a lot of money to, to, build, a, to build a business. And, and they were... They were great, but you know, one of the things that we learned is that it's all about relationships. We we had been talking to Seth for almost two years by that point, and so you know, when you hear out there that it takes nine months to fundraise, it's it's that if not more, and it's really about building that relationship with with your investors. And there's this um, metaphor for for looking at it as as a marriage or dating, and and as weird as it sounds, it is like that because you have to get to know them as people that's that's one of the things that that we've learned along our journey um investors are are people they're people that care about your product they should be people that care about you and how you're doing as an entrepreneur and and the foundry group very much has supported us in that way did the capital raise throughout the entire process did it always go smoothly or were there some hiccups along the way there are definitely hiccups along the way. Um, for one, you know, Jackie and I, this was our first, very first time really, really trying to raise any money. So um, I will say trying to figure out what a convertible note was at the very beginning was interesting. Trying to figure out, you know, how to really look at your cap table and um, everything that goes into into fundraising is, is definitely always a little tricky. Uh, but other than other than the timing of it all, um, you know, the 250000 that we got at the very beginning lasted us a lot, a long time. Um, but we definitely kind of got down to the wire there at the end. Um, but that's, you know, that's one of the things Jackie and I always say, if, if you're not always thriving and moving forward and moving as quickly as you can, you're never going to get there. Um, so even though it was a very stressful time of like, are we going to get the funding? Are we not? Um, we, we couldn't slow down. We had to keep moving quickly. Um but no, I mean, on it, I, hearing other people's stories, like I said earlier, I, we, I feel so lucky um, that the Foundry Group has just constantly been so supportive, even when, when, we, didn't, when we didn't have an answer to something. They, they would help us out, if nothing else, by connecting us with different resources or mentors to go find those answers. It's a great little success sub story to hear about you and your ability to raise capital. Would there be anything in the capital raise process where you would do it differently? Um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we learned going through Techstars, and, and this is something that a lot of times we forget to listen to our own advice, but to start raising early, to start figuring out what is that story that you're trying to tell investors? Because there has to always be a certain amount of milestones that you're hitting. You need to be showing growth. You need to be, you need to be really painting that picture of what, what, what that company is like in the case of Revel R, it's like, what is Revel R today? But what is it going to be in five to 10 years? Like really painting that picture of like why this is such an incredible opportunity. Um, and even though, you know, it went really well for us, I do wish that we kind of had started looking at, at other options and, and really done our research on, on investors a little bit earlier so that we wouldn't have been so stressed at the end there. Um, but it all ended up working out. Let's change topics a little bit and talk about finding a manufacturer. This is an amazing product that you came up with and really recommend people to look at the revelr.com website and take a look at the product. It's, it's really sensational. And regarding finding a manufacturer, what was that like? How did you go about finding a manufacturer for this type of specific technology? It looks like a high-tech product. It's amazing. 
Yeah, um, that's a fun story as well. We've we've had some we've had some fun times. Um, no, so you know, manufacturing is it's difficult, um, especially you know I, I hate using the word non technical, but Jackie and I um, very much came from very different backgrounds. Um, I had a business degree and she was a teacher, so so very. And, and I worked in fashion, so it's a little different than, than technology. Um, so a big thing was really trying to learn how how it all worked, one, because we, we needed to be well-versed. We wanted to very much educate ourselves on on how, how the technology, not only the hardware, but the software and the firmware, how it all came together and to come to life. Um, so we dedicated a lot of time to learning from the engineers that were helping us build our product. Um, but then from there, to your point, it's like, well, how do you build it? How do you actually scale it? How do you how do you make, you know, we had one working prototype, but how do you make it thousands? And for the longest time, you know, my, my background was in operations. So I actually took that on um, at the very beginning, trying to figure out how you know, just in our product alone, there's like over 30 different components. So it's like, how do you, how do you source them all? How do you know you're getting the best price? How do you, you know, one of the things that always crosses our mind is like, are we being environmentally friendly? Like where, where where's the material coming from? Um, We very much wanted to, to try to manufacture um, as close to home as possible, but that's always a challenge in in itself. Um, And one of the things that we learned is that it's very much about relationships again. So, so it's not, especially as a new company, it's about who you, who you know, who you can connect with in, in that field. Um, so I, I was able to talk to quite a wide range of suppliers and manufacturers who were very much willing to help us. Um, but again, it was just such a, such a distant um, point of, point of knowledge for me. So we, we were really, really fortunate to have, um, Tom Davison came on to our team as an advisor. He was the former VP of global engineering at Otterbox and had worked in manufacturing and supply chain for over 30 years. Um, so he was an advisor of ours during Techstars. And then, you know, oddly enough, I, I was working on all of these things along the way and he offered to help, which was great. Um, and he just kept hanging out with us at Techstars. And finally, Jackie and I were like, do you want to join the team? Like, is that something you'd be willing to do? Um, and he did. He he joined our team very, very early on. He was probably higher five or six. Um, and he was actually the one that was able to not only pull on, on his connections that he had, um, but also take the time to educate Jackie and I and the rest of the, of the team of what it's going to take to pull something like that off. How do you actually build a device? How, what are all the different pieces that come into it? So it's, you know, it's the tooling for the plastics. It's the electrical, mechanical, firmware. Like there's so many different types of engineering um, work that needs to go into it. And luckily enough, he was very well versed in all of them. Um, so with with Tom and his contacts, we were actually able to have a final design, final uh, production ready design um, a little bit after maybe. Yeah, a little bit after the first texture. So um, and then from there to market, it only took us eight months. Uh, and a lot of it was was very much due to, to the work and experience that Tom had. Um, and I think that's kind of a lesson for entrepreneurs is, you know, don't be afraid to to hire people or, or get advice from people who know more than you. That's something that Jackie and I are very, very open about. And we, we've made that a part of our culture is that it's okay to not know all the answers and it's okay to to look to other people for help and advice because you never know, they might want to join your team one day. Um, and in our case they did. So that worked out really well for us. Can you talk a little bit about any problems or issues you have had with your manufacturer? I know that in most cases, if not all, there's always an issue with a manufacturer that comes up from time to time. So you really need to find that partnership where they're really committed. Can you share with us any issues that came up and how the manufacturer dealt with them. Yeah, I mean one of the one of the the first things is that there's a lot of different trade-offs that you have to make with hardware. So, you know, in our case it was 
we wanted the device to be small. We wanted the battery life to last a long time. We wanted all of these different features to be in the hardware, um, such as vibration, et cetera. And a lot of times, you know, kind of going back to our first topic of, of the user and, and, and making sure that it was designed well for them, we also have to make a lot of trade-offs as, as we design products of, you know, given that we want all of these things, a lot of times you can't have it all. And so it's really weighing what what is the most important and what can wait for later. Um, so that was definitely the, the first thing is, is being very, very thoughtful of, and mindful of of what those trade-offs were for the product. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of start there looking at all of the different components that it takes to build that product, you know, one of the biggest challenges is looking at the lead times for them all. So in our case, there's, we have, we have, um, one, one component that at the time was like 13 week lead time. And so then it really starts getting into, well, how are, you know, how many products do we actually need? Like, what does that forecasting look like? Um, like I said, luckily for us with with our partners that we have on the manufacturing side, they they were able to help us out there. Um, but that was definitely a challenge very early on was, you know, what are those different trade-offs that, that we need for the product to be successful? And then what's, we had to really make a choice on what mattered the most. Um, and then, and then very, very carefully looking at your lead times and production time. So you don't miss your, you don't miss your deadlines on schedules. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic dealing with manufacturing and setting up all of those schedules. It's my history in in manufacturing. I have a background in consumer product marketing, and uh, it's always it was always really even though I'm a marketing person at heart, I really enjoyed that operational manufacturing side and the scheduling and the lead times. It was always really fun for me. Let's switch the topic to selling the product to retailers. Early on, how did you learn to do that? What were those first approaches like, say, to Brookstone? Did you, how did you know to set the price? How did you know how to present the information to them? What kind of margins that they needed? Those types of things. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when you get into the consumer, um, world it's definitely a very interesting one in comparison to b2b and it mainly comes down to your margins um especially as a hardware company that's that's kind of what what you want to protect as much as possible um because these devices at times can be expensive to make the the price can be very variable but at the end of the day it's especially when you're looking at the pricing for your product there's a couple of different factors number one is you know is the price the msrp the the market price um will consumers buy it like that's that's the first and foremost one um and then and then from there it's really you know how do our margins look not only when we're going straight to consumers, but specifically when you're talking about uh, different retailers, you have to really look at the wholesale price for your product. And so what does that really look like um, for us? You know, a rule that I always use, and this kind of goes back to, to my days of working um, in retail was very much like three, three X rule. So if you can, if you can kind of um, look at it that way, if, if, if the cost of your product is, is approximately three X or at least within three X, like that's, that's definitely where you want to be. Um, now that being said, you know, anytime you talk to any, any retailer like a Brookstone, there's a lot of negotiation that has to happen because they, they clearly have different um, they have expectations for, for what their margins need to be. So it's very much a conversation. Um, and especially with, with Brookstone, it was about, you know, a, a company our size. Like we had to just very, very much know, again, with the trade-offs of like when we looked at our terms, what, what was comparable for us and, and what was absolutely a no. Um, and, and, and really taking a really close look at that. Um, but it's it's interesting because I think one of the one of the things that we've learned along the way, especially having launched our product uh, five months ago, is to always always be looking at what are those different factors that influence consumers to buy your product and and which ones do you have control over and which ones do you not? Um, and pricing, fortunately, is one of those that that you can control, whether it's lowering cost on one side um, or or leveraging, 
you know, your, your consumer experience or, or marketing on the other. So there's a lot of different variables that go into it. But at the end of the day, it's really, you know, for us, we want to make our product accessible and affordable. Um, and so are we living true to that mission as a company? And, and pricing was definitely a big piece of it. How difficult was it to define your distribution strategy? And more specifically, how difficult was it to set the different or at least identify the different types of retail distribution options you had? You have big box retailers, you have specialty boutique stores. Did you explore all of those different options and how difficult was it to sort of identify that first entry point? Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I mean, there's definitely a strategy that goes to it. One of, one of the things that we've always wanted to do is to be able to offer safety to consumers um, and the mass market. And so, you know, we knew very early on that we did want to go for, for retail. Um, however, one of the things that that we also knew is that given that it was our first time, we needed to really be able to to learn. Um, and so one of the things that we did very strategically is we didn't aim to go into every retailer at, at once. Um, we went into Brookstone, which was a perfect, perfect partner for us to launch with, you know, 216 stores nationwide. Um, they really tailored a lot of the in-store experience to consumers and users and being able to educate them. And so that for us was the ideal partner to launch with, um, again, so that we could learn as much as we could. Now from five months ago to today, um, now we're on amazon.com, Best Buy, we're on target.com as of last week. Um, and we're really looking to kind of expand that distribution, uh, if nothing else, to to really make it uh, accessible to as many people as possible, which again goes back to like one of the biggest um, core competencies at Revel are, and that's to how can how can we make our product as accessible to to the masses and, and retail and brick and mortar is definitely um, the strategic way to do that. Uh, we also, you know, sell it on our own website and that a big piece of it is to to be able to drive traffic to our own site um, and be able to to really learn what kind of questions people are asking about the product. Let's talk about marketing Revelar and more specifically creating awareness and demand. Many people that start a business are very frustrated with their lack of marketing budgets, their small financial assets. How did Revelar or how are you creating consumer awareness and demand for the product? It's one of the things that very, very early on, um, you know, and, and I kind of, when I, when I, when I mentor other hardware startups, I always say that it's important to have a product that functions and meets the needs of your consumer. But a lot of times it's even more important to have a brand and a message that goes with it. Um, and so one of the things that we did very early on, which was very unintentional is, you know, through all of the pitch competitions that we did, we actually spent a lot of time before we even had a, a functioning um, or well-functioning prototype on our messaging, on what is that story that we're trying to tell. And I, it's so, so important to figure that out um, because now today we, we're very, very clear on um, our brand, the message that we're trying to tell, the story that we're trying to tell and how that resonates with users. And I, I am so grateful that we did that very, very early on because now we have a much better idea of what kind of messages resonate with people and which ones do not. And it was all a trial and error. Um, but kind of going back to your question of, of budgeting, it's one of those things that um, it's kind of another yin-yang situation, right? Like you, you need to spend money on marketing, but you also need to have the sales and revenue coming in at the same time. And so it's really being able to balance those two and try different things on the marketing side, really be able to experiment with how you're channeling your message to different types of audience. So in our case, you know, the parents, parents are very much purchasers of our device, but then the users are tend to be very different. They're either um, older or they're millennials. And so it's really about how can you 
how can you market both of those different audiences, um, but do it in a way that the message is very consistent. And so it's, it's very much about testing. Um, nowadays with, with everything being thriving so well on the digital side, uh, that's a great place to test different messaging tactics, um, with digital ads, whether it be on Facebook or, um, on Google and, and really taking the time to look and seeing what works and what doesn't, um, but a little bit more about the in-store experience too, because there's a lot of marketing dollars that have to go into displays, um, what the packaging looks like, et cetera. You know, one of the things that we learned and we've already reiterated on our packaging is that it it is all about how you educate consumers at the spot. And so, you know, one of the things that we learned very early on is is Revelar, just like very other, a lot of other IoT devices, take a lot of education and time to be able to really explain to the user what those different use cases are for the product and why it's adding value to their lives. Um, and so that's one thing that we've learned is that consumers actually need a lot of education in order to, to be inspired to make that purchase. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we're focusing on now is how can we do that through videos, through um, our customer care chat on our website. So what are those through the app as well? Um, and really taking a look at how do we how do we do that in a way that that is the most valuable um, instead of just throwing dollars out there? How can we make sure that it's very thoughtful um, and that we're getting as much of a return on our spend as possible? Let's get personal. Andrea, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business but never start one. It's all show and no go. And starting a business is special and really highly unusual. What motivates a person like you, Andrea, and your, co- your co-founder, Jackie, to stop just talking about launching a business and actually go out and start a business? Was it your destiny to start a business like Revelar? I think about that every day, um, just because every day is is so it's full of different challenges. Um, but that's kind of why I love it too. And one of the things that I'll say is, it's definitely about seeing the end goal. Um, because no, it's not. A lot of my friends, especially, you know, it, there's kind of like this perception of startups being very flashy and fun and everything's great. And that part is true, but it's always about what you make of it. Um, and so being able to to accept the fact that it's hard. Um, but for Jackie and I, we know the end goal. You know, our, our end goal is to, to really help people live safer and live freely and be able to go and experience things that they might have not otherwise done without Revelar. And so for us, like, that's what keeps us going. It's the stories that that we get from from users, friends, and family of, like, how Revelar um, has, has brought them greater peace of mind. And, you know, how... There's so many people in the world that that wish that this product had come out earlier. And so for us, that's that's really what drives us is is how can we be there for people who need it? Um, and how can we at some point uh, live in a world where where Revelar isn't needed anymore? Um, unfortunately, we're not there yet, um, but it's definitely about seeing the end goal, knowing that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And um just having that passion and, and that drive move you forward because because every day is is truly so challenging and so different. Um, but it's it's all about being able to see that vision and and knowing how that we are gonna get there, even though we might not know how in the moment. You know, I, I think that's such a great point that is often overlooked. I had a I started a snowboard clothing company way back in nineteen ninety nine. And I had no clue about how to manufacture, design, or distribute a product like that. And within nine months from the very idea, my product was in REI, some really nice retailers across the U.S. And I often tell people that I had a very specific idea in mind. I know ex- knew exactly what I wanted, even though I had no clue how to get there. But I was able to get a manufacturer get it into retailers and really get something going because I could just point to another jacket like a Burton or some other 
brand name and say, that's what I want to do. And it's amazing how that can sort of crystallize and just almost magically create that possibility and how quickly it can do that. So I think that's a really, yeah, really great story. Yeah, oh, it's fun. <laughs> what have been your biggest joys or what has been your biggest joy or what have you been most proud of along your entrepreneurial journey? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's those, the moments where we can, you know, at Revel R, we very much try to celebrate the the little things. And so we have this thing that we do at the company where we call them champagne moments. Um, so even if it's, you know, our launch on target.com, like that deserved a champagne moment. So I think it's, it's a lot of, it's a combination of things. It's, it's being able to celebrate those little moments along the way. Um, but one of, one of the biggest moments of joy for me was actually when, um, we were able to go to Techstars this past couple months um, in Minneapolis, which required us to actually leave our headquarters in Denver. Um, and it was such an incredibly proud moment to know that our team of 20 back home um, not only trusted us to to really execute and, and, and get stuff done um, at Techstars, but we trusted them to keep the business moving. And that was an incredible moment where we could actually let go um, a little bit of, of, you know, kind of like our, our baby, like Revel R, we've been growing it ourselves and being able to actually let go and know that we had hired such amazing people to keep, keep everything moving um, was an incredible, incredible feeling. Um, and, you know, that, that to me is, is kind of, a lot of times what it's all about is being able to create an amazing team together that we can have enough trust in each other to know that, that we're going to keep moving forward and we have each other's backs. What has been your biggest frustration? Um, my biggest frustration, I honestly, I think it's, it's kind of given our, our, our product and the, the area that we're in, um, my biggest frustration is is honestly the the cultural barriers that we've had. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of times we we do feel like we have to convince people um, as to why Revel R has to exist in the fir- first place, and and that that definitely frustrates me. But at the same time, it's it's those moments and those people that I constantly have to convince that that drives me um, to make sure that Revel R is all of the success that it can be. Um, because, you know, there, there are a lot of things going on in the world that unfortunately do call for a tool like Revel R. Um, and it's, it's, it's really um, a little frustrating to, to hear the denial um, that some people have as to the reality of, of why Revel R exists in the first place. Um, but like I said, it's definitely something that drives me and our team to actually keep moving forward and keep talking about it and keep drawing awareness to to why Revel R exists in the first place. Um, but it, it definitely is a little frustrating. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> For sure. Are those skeptics? Are they retailers or consumers? Describe them. Well, no, it's not, it's not retailers. Um, and I honestly, I think the conversation does shift a little bit when, when you talk about the international market. Um, but more so in the U S you know, a perfect example is, um, all of the different cases that have come up about sexual assault on college campuses. Um, and that's something that, that is a, is a, is a really, it's an issue. I don't think anybody can deny that. Um, but yet some people, some people do, um, it's, it's not necessarily consumers. It's, it's, it's a wide variety of thing. Um, we've actually, we have gotten some investors in the past say, you know, um, rape culture is not a real thing or, um, you know, why don't you just, just use the, use your phone to call for help. Um, and it's, it's just interesting because, you know, if, if anybody who had been through a time of need or an emergency, 
uh, you would know that that it doesn't you don't have time to take out your phone in a time of emergency. Um, but, you know, it's, it's conversations with with a wide variety of people that we, we really just keep keep moving forward. And that's a lot of the reason why we have such a positive message and such a positive mentality, because our product is very much about empowerment and freedom and independence. And it's how can we provide that to, to people, um, not only through the product, but the message and the story that we're telling, too. We've talked about this before. We've talked on the phone a couple of times, and it's it's amazing to me how great and crystal clear your solution is for a problem that exists out there. That's what really, really attracted me to your product, product because it's very difficult to find opportunities to invest in companies like that and so easy to sort of explain to somebody. So I think it's absolutely fantastic. Andrea, many entrepreneurs, even seasoned ones at their pinnacle of success, experience this idea of self-doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey. How much self-doubt have you had, if any, and what seems to trigger it or how have you dealt with it? Yeah, um, I mean, self-doubt, I think, happens a lot um in particular to to me you know it's it's no secret i'm i'm young um i'm only i'm only 26 and so that definitely creates some sense of doubt in in other people never in myself um but it does kind of create these instances of like okay well you know, let me let me go prove that that shouldn't be a problem. Um, or again, you know, kind of looking at the, the fact that I don't have much technical experience, even though I've learned a lot along the way, um, that tends to deteriorate people as a, away from from us as well. Um, and I, I really, you know, it does it create an instance of self doubt, sure, but but for me and in my case, it actually drives me more um, to be able to prove those people wrong. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but whenever anybody says, says anything like that negative, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, I just can't wait to, <laughs> to prove them wrong um, through the success of Revelar and everything that we're going to be able to do. Um, and it does. It happens all the time. I, I think, you know, one of the things about being an entrepreneur is that you just don't know what's next. You don't know what's coming up up the road. Um, and it's just really important, I always say, to know what you don't know. Um, and be able to to have the wherewithal to go find the answers um, and and really be able to to admit that you don't know everything, but that you'll figure it out. Andrea, starting a new business is difficult, as you know. How has starting your own business changed you as a person, if at all? Yeah, um, it, it definitely has changed me as a person. Um, I always say that that feeling uncomfortable it's in those moments that you learn the most about yourself. Um, and starting a business is definitely a very uncomfortable, um, it's an uncomfortable thing. You're trying something new that no one's ever done before. And for me, it's taught me that I'm a lot stronger than I ever anticipated. It's taught me that there's people that look up to me that I never anticipated. Um, it's, it's taught me that I can have really tough conversations and get through them. Um, and, and, and those things just happen to, they do get easier along the way. So, um, I've been able to grow a lot professionally. Um, I've been able to grow a lot personally. Um, especially when, when you look at the, the day to day of being an entrepreneur, it's a lot about your work-life balance and it's, you know, a, a big piece of it is making those mistakes along the way, but being able to reflect and learn from them. Um, so I would say, you know, 100%, it's, it's definitely been one of those things that, it's, that has molded me to, to who I am today. But I have to say, I, I'm a, definitely a much better person for it. I'll ask a question that's very similar to that, but I'm curious to see if there's a slightly different answer. What have you learned most about yourself? I have learned that, oh, that's such a good question. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I've learned is um, that it's definitely always a good thing to surround yourself by people who know more than you do. 
Um, and when I say that, I th- it goes back to, to something I said earlier of, of being able to acknowledge what you know and acknowledge what you don't know. Um, and one of the things that I've learned about myself is that a lot of times you do have to have the courage to, to say you don't have the answer. Um, but even more than that, it's being able to go find it and figure it out. Um, and that's something that, that I've definitely learned along the way. And I'm, it's, it's, it's been awesome to not only see, um, myself learn that, but, but Jackie as well. And the rest of our team kind of following suit, which is very cool. Who has been most influential to you in your life, either professionally or personally? Well, this is kind of both. This one's is an easy one for me. My dad um, is a hundred percent the most influential person in my life. He, um, you know, from from when we moved to the states twenty years ago, um, I saw him and my mom really, you know, kind of make a life from from nothing, from scratch, um, and they have now started their own business. And I've just been so inspired by his attitude to go from having nothing over and over again, um, with, with a smile on his face. And I think that's, that's kind of one of the, one of the biggest things that, that keeps me going too when things get hard, um, is to just put a smile on and, and laugh it off and move forward. Um, and my dad definitely taught me how to do that. And I, um, I've learned a lot to, from him about what it, what it is to, to start a business and how hard it really is. Cause I've seen him do it. Um, and it's, it's really, really cool to be able to see through his eyes, um, the reward that comes from, from having that positive attitude and, and making it through. I have one more question for you. And that is, yeah. did I miss any questions that you feel like you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? Yeah, no, I, I mean, one of the things that, that I get asked a lot is, you know, I love what you're doing. How do I do it? Um, and, you know, the biggest advice I can do is just just try it, like put yourself out there um, and, and give it a shot like surround yourself by people who, who have done it before, if that's something you want to do. Um, and just, just go out there and learn. One of the things that I, I constantly say is, you know, the worst thing that can happen is someone will say no. Um, and so don't, don't really live your life with regret and just, just give it a shot and try. Cause, cause otherwise you're always gonna, gonna want to do it. And it's, it's better to do it now than later. Andrea, this has been really great. You've been a terrific guest offering huge value and advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. I just want to say congratulations on your success, for your entrepreneurial courage, and for sharing your experiences with us today. No, thank you so much. Um, This has been awesome. It's allowed me to reflect on how far we've gotten, um, which is super important. So, no, thank you for having me. This has been fun. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. 